want to take this opportunity to just start us off with a time of prayer as we get ready to dive into scripture. Lord, to be with us this morning, as we spend some time in your word, dear Lord, we know that your word is always speaking to us, and each time we read it, I believe that there are things that we learn that are new, that are different from things that we have seen before, and so thank you that the word and the scripture is timeless. And as we continue to, in this series of more than words, just continue to show us how the words that your son Jesus spoke from the cross were more than just the Lord, but they were calling us to action. They were reminding us of some eternal truth that we need to make it even here today. Uh, be with us this morning. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning I want to read to you just two simple, uh, two quick verses. The Gospel of John chapter 19, verse 28 and 29. And it says this, it says, Later... Knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. I just want to speak to you from this thought today, um, I am thirsty. Before we even get into the thirsty part, though, I want to talk about balance. This concept of balance, because as I was reading this text and I was praying for the Lord to show me um, um, something in it that I could share um, to be both encouraging and and challenging to us. uh, This concept of balance uh, came to my mind and it reminded me uh, of when I worked at Champs. Uh, if you're not familiar with Champs, Champs is a sporting goods store uh, that predominantly sells footwear. And I know many of you that know me are probably thinking that's like putting a kid in the candy store, putting X in the shoe store. Um, that thought is pretty correct because I often didn't make it out of the store with my check most weeks. Uh, luckily, I was working like three or four jobs at the time. Uh, but yeah, I remember very fondly uh, working at Champs. I worked at Champs in Ford City. Uh, was on the far end of the mall by the bus stop and by the Old Country Buffet. And a lot of my good friends worked there. We had a really, really good time at Champs. Interacting with customers, interacting with with each other, just hanging out um, in the store. But the one thing that I hated about working at Champs was when I was unfortunate enough to close. I hated closing. Anybody that's ever worked in retail knows that closing is probably one of the worst parts of the day to work. Why is closing so uh, terrible? Well, closing is terrible because you have to do things like face the store, right? You got to make sure that all of the t-shirts that are hanging up are perfectly spaced apart. You got to refold all of the shirts that were um, on the table that people had kind of rummaged through to see if the size fit and they put it back. You got to put the pants back on. You have to make sure that all the shoes are uh, perfectly faced and laced. You have to do all of this cleanup work so that when the store opens the next day, um, it, it looks perfect. But the other thing that is no fun about closing is once all of the facing is done, once the store is cleaned, once you sweep and things like that, then you have to wait for the managers to count the drawers. 
And counting the drawers is so um, important because they have to make sure that at the end of the day, everything comes out and is balanced. That all of the merchandise that left the store is financially accounted for. And that when you put all of the, uh, the credit card receipts, the physical checks, the cash into the bag, that what went out matches what's in the drawer. It has to be balanced. And I remember just certain days where if the, the, the count was 10 cent off, we would spend extra time in the store waiting for them to figure out how to account for the 10 cent that was missing or the quarter that was missing. Sometimes it was 4 or $5 that uh, maybe a receipt had dropped. But we couldn't leave the store until everything was balanced perfectly and properly. Brothers and sisters, that concept of balance uh, challenges me because I realize that when things are out of balance, it's an indication um, that something is not going right. Uh, when things are out of balance, it means that things won't, won't work the way that they were intended to work. If you think about your car, when your tires need to be rotated and balanced, your car won't drive straight. It'll have a little lean to it that is not best for the car. And so it's important to make sure that your uh, tires are Balance. Um, we talk about eating a balanced meal. When there's too much of one thing in our in our diets, our bodies uh, show it. Again, uh, balance is important. We have to balance our food. We have to balance our meals. When you don't walk on balance, you tend to put too much weight on one side of your body, and it causes issues in your back. And so, balance is important in every aspect of our lives. I don't think that there is a part of our lives that isn't or is okay with not having balance. And that even includes our spiritual life, brothers and sisters. It's important to make sure that we have good balance in our spiritual life. And I think that one of the scriptures, um, as we make our way to John, that really, I think, gives us the indication of balance spiritually is the scripture that we call um, the greatest commandment uh, that's found in Mark. That's found in Mark chapter 12, where where uh, the, the Pharisees have challenged Jesus and asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus re responds by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He says the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so there's this balance, I believe, that Jesus is calling us to to our uh, vertical relationship with God, but also our horizontal relationship with people. So balance. And I think that part of the struggle that we have as believers is because many of us struggle with balancing our relationship to God. And our relationship with our brothers and sisters. I think the scripture says something to the effect, how can we love God who we haven't seen and hate our brother whom we've seen daily? I think that there is too many of us who are uh, who call ourselves Christians and people of faith that are so uh, heavenly bound. We're no earthly good. We can quote the, the, the scriptures. Word for word, back to back, nonstop. But our relationship with our brothers and sisters is a little bit questionable at best. It actually reminds me of uh, the story of the woman who was called in adultery in John chapter 8. This is another example of where Jesus is really calling us to balance. 
Because just like the commandment says to love God and love others, too many of us, I think, find ourselves in one camp or the other. And so even at that scene uh, when the woman is found in adultery and the crowd stands there ready uh, to stone her to death, Jesus stops and he asks a simple question. He says, who of you is without sin can cast the first stone? Jesus was challenging uh, uh, the crowd to, to, to think inwardly and remind themselves that uh, though they were trying to follow the Mosaic law and they were doing the right thing by law, by trying to honor and love God, they weren't doing the right thing by this woman. And the scripture records that one by one, people dropped their stones and they walked away. But the thing is, is that Jesus didn't end there because he then looked to the woman who had been spared because of grace and said, now go and sin no more. So it was this reminder that we have to constantly find a balance between grace and truth, between our relationship of righteousness and holiness with God, but also our relationship of love with one another. Balance is important. And so the first thing that I think the scripture shares with us is that we have to have, find balance between the virtual, vertical and horizontal nature of our faith. If we focus on God at the expense of caring for people, we are missing the point. Brothers and sisters, too many of us, like I said before, are so focused on our relationship with God that we don't care for or love people well. I think that's why we find so many people who have an issue and struggle with being a part of the church, who who know that there is something inside them that wants to connect to the creator, that wants to connect to God. But they've had so many negative encounters with people who call themselves Christians, people who call themselves people of faith, that they can't uh, fathom what it means to serve a God whose representatives are jerks. What, what, how, 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 how can I love a God whose representatives on earth are some of the, 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 the meanest people that we've ever met? We've experienced those people. I've experienced those people. And maybe at different points in our lives, we've been those people, right? But the reality of the fact is that this is a constant reminder that we are being called to balance, because if we focus, but the other aspect of this, though, is if we focus on people and neglect our relationship with God, we are really not able to love people the way that God intended. Because part of what love calls us to do is to speak truth. Part of what love calls us to do is to hold people accountable. Part of what love calls us to do is to bear each other's burdens uh, and, to, to, and, to, and to be in community with each other. And we can't do that properly if our relationship with God is not intact. Because how can you love the created without being in relationship with the creator? It's kind of like trying to put together a household item without using the instructions. Sounds like something that I've done several times before. And then when I, I remember one particular time when I bought a, a TV stand and I kind of looked at it and I decided, just like, you know what? I can pretty much figure out how to do this. And I didn't take the time to read the instructions. And I went through all the motions and I put together the TV stand. And when I got done, I realized that the door on the stand was on backwards. 
And so it wasn't functioning the way, quite the way that it should because I hadn't taken the time to read the instructions. Brothers and sisters, we have to make sure that our relationship with God is intact so that we can learn his word and learn his will and be shown properly how to love his creation. Because without God in the mix, without God being our guide, we will ultimately ultimately make mistakes that can do more damage and do more harm than good. So where does this leave us? Where does this, how does this get us to the cross today, this concept of balance? Because I believe when you look at chapter 19, verse 28, it says this, later knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I think the second thing that we notice is that Jesus' obedience on the cross was the ultimate act of balance. Jesus' obedience on the cross was the ultimate act of balance. The first thing that we have to allow ourselves to do is balance uh, the, 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 our understanding of who Jesus was. Because I think that at points in our life, especially as we get uh, to the resurrection, we forget the reality that Jesus was both human and divine. And I even believe that our understanding of Jesus' work on the cross loses its power if we don't if we don't balance our understanding of the divine nature of who Jesus was and the human aspect of who Jesus was as well. And so uh, Jesus' obedience on the cross then was the ultimate act of balance. How so? Well, the first thing that you see is that Jesus' work on the cross was the perfect balance of obedience to God. Jesus Work on the cross was the perfect act of obedience to God. How so? Ultimately, we know that in his humanity, Jesus was also divine. Just like uh, Satan tried to tempt Jesus when he was um, in, in the wilderness, it is very known that Jesus could at any time come down off the cross. But he also knew that his purpose on the cross was too important to let anything pull him down. Jesus was constantly reminding his disciples and the people around him that he was about his father's business. He was about his father's will, that he doesn't do anything without the father. His relationship with God was so deep, it had so much depth, that he was driven by his desire to do his father's will. And so Jesus' work on the cross was this, this perfect balance of obedience because even though Jesus had the power to come down, he chose not to because it was his father's will that he died. And so part of his his faithfulness to his relationship to God and his purpose was staying on the cross, even though he didn't have to. But here's where it balances out with his humanity, because Jesus Christ's work on the cross was also the perfect balance of sacrifice for people. Because Jesus knew that what he was called to do was to die on that cross to bear the sins of the world, to bear the sins of the very people who were making fun of him and the very people who abandoned him in his most painful moment. But Jesus also knew that without that sacrifice, that there wasn't anything that we can do on our own to stay in right relationship with God. And so Jesus had, had, had balanced through his work on the cross, obedience to his father, and sacrifice for people. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that is the call that we have to find. 
That we have to learn how to balance what it means to be obedient to God and his call and his will for us, but also balance what it means to love and sacrifice for the people around us. And that's a hard thing to do. And it's especially hard when we try to do it without God. Because many of us are prone to care for the people who are easy to care for and shy away from the folks who are most difficult. I remember back when we, uh, when me and my wife were at Oakdale, she grew up at Oakdale. Um, I joined Oakdale in about 2005. And um, during our greeting time, when we would shake hands and greet each other, we would sing this song called The Jesus and Me, Love the Jesus and You. And the song would go to Jesus and me, love the Jesus and you, so easy, easy to love. And because I had been on staff, I would know that some of these folks were not easy to love. I remember some of the letters that would come. I remember some of those meetings where people will ask some of the most difficult questions. I remember some of the folks that caused some of the most difficult and painful moments. And I remember as we sang that song and we greeted each other and we gave each other hugs that I would be thinking in my head like, nope, you're not easy to love. You're not easy to love. You're not easy to love. But I will also be reminded there were probably points in my life that I wasn't easy to love either. And so as Jesus hung from the cross, the same balance that we need to achieve, he achieved in being obedient and sacrificial. And brothers and sisters, part of our call in our lives is to be obedient to our relationship with God, but to also sacrifice for those around us who have yet to find uh, that connection to a higher power, to our God. Other thing is this. When I read verse 29, it says, A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked the sponge in it, put a sponge on the stalk of his plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. This isn't the first time, and I mentioned this last week, that we see Jesus uh, being offered wine. But this time we see that Jesus accepted the wine. It's interesting to me, like uh, Mr. Larry mentioned earlier, uh, that this time when the wine was offered, it was not mixed with myrrh, if we are reading the scripture, and it was uh, on the hyssop branch. We know that not only uh, was hyssop used uh, to, to, to anoint the doors with the blood for the Passover, but we also remember in Psalm 51 when David talks about purging his lips with hyssop and he would be clean. And so the people in that time would understand that hyssop represented cleanliness. Hyssop represented uh, making things new. And so this wine that was now uh, 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 soaked in sponge on the hyssop branch was, was not the wine that would uh, mix with myrrh that would, would ease the pain. It was not the wine that would um, have psychological effects. It was simply uh, something to quench his very human thirst. We know that partially uh, when he proclaims our thirst, that he was physically, literally thirsty. If you uh, ever read the science about what is happening at the cross, Jesus at this point would have been in so much pain, his body would have been dehydrated. That he was very near death at this point. As a matter of fact, scientists will say that he most likely died of a heart attack. And so when he proclaimed, I thirst, 
It was this reminder that that this wasn't uh, Jesus, the the son of God, who was not feeling pain, who was uh, divine in this particular moment. There was the part, the very human part of Jesus that was hurting, that was thirsting like many of us thirst. But I believe that our ability to achieve balance helps us live into our call. And because Jesus had achieved that balance, he knew he was able to discern between the tainted wine that he was offered earlier against um, the wine that actually met the need. Brothers and sisters, when we are when we achieve that balance between God and people, when we achieve that balance between being close to God and learning how to love people, brothers, I believe that we also have the ability to discern when things are sent to help us or when things are sent to distract us. Because, brothers and sisters, thirst will cause us to do some crazy things. Thirst will cause us to do some things or to receive help that might not be good for us. If you've ever been an athlete or if you're a person that works out now, If you're like me and you're allergic to water, when I'm thirsty, I usually just go for a can of Red Bull or I go for a Mountain Dew or something. But the reality of the fact is that's the absolute last thing that I need when my body needs the nutrients of water. And brothers and sisters, when we're thirsty, especially when we don't have healthy resources around us, the first thing that we do is try to quench that thirst with something that is not good for us. Jesus, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of trial, was so in tune with his call. He was so in tune with his relationship with God and he cared so deeply for people that even though uh, the wine that was offered earlier with myrrh would have eased his pain, he knew it would have distracted him. And he waited until he got relief from something that would give him the ability to finish what he was called to do. Brothers and sisters, when we are thirsty physically, when we are thirsty spiritually, we have to make sure that we don't allow ourselves to be tempted by things that will throw us off course. Because if if we stay the course, the real relief will come. The other thing I'm reminded of spiritually is this. Because we know that when Jesus proclaimed our thirst, there was a very human side of it. But there was also a spiritual side to it as well. Because we know that when he made the decree, our thirst, uh, that he was also pointing to him being near the end of what he had been called to do, near the end of his mission. But the other thing that it does is it points back again to David in Psalm 69. And I'll read a few verses where it says, this is says, come near and rescue me. Redeem me because of my foes. You know how I am scorned, disgraced and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none for comforters. But I found none. They put gall in my food. And gave me vinegar for my drink. Jesus was again calling back to the Old Testament. Was David proclaimed when he cried out to the Lord for help. And reminded him that vindication needed to come. And needed to come swiftly. Because at this point they mocked him. Yes they put kings of the Jews over his head. But they did it in jest. Uh, The king did it to uh, make the Sanhedrin and the other religious leaders upset because they had to watch as their pronounced king of Jews was hung on the cross in disgrace. He was reminded that at the cross that a lot of those that he saved, his, his friends, his brothers, his disciples were not there. 
Jesus was was calling out to God. He was saying that, hey, this mission is finished. Now it's time to come and redeem what has been lost, redeem what has been stolen, redeem what has been taken away. In this moment, I thirst for vindication. I thirst for you to come and finish the work that I started. I thirst. Dear Lord, many of us as we, brothers and sisters, many of us as we pursue our call and we live into our the mission and vision that the Lord has given us for our lives, we will find ourselves where we thirst. We will find ourselves thirsting because there will be moments where we want relief that we are not going to get. There will be moments where we want, want relief and the options in front of us will deter us, not help us go forward. And we'll be thirsting for what it is that God really wants us to have in those moments. And my encouragement to you in this time is to keep pushing because the thing that God wants for you to have will come if we just wait. There'll be times where we thirst because we've been made fun of, we've been talked about, we've been mistreated. And we thirst for the vindication of God. We thirst for those moments where we can say, I told you so. But the challenge is to end those moments of thirst, to lean into our relationship with God and be reminded of why we are doing what we're called to do anyway. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what you've been called. It doesn't matter your occupation, because no matter what you're doing, it comes with some level of sacrifice. And there will be times where we're cutting corners will, will be will feel better. But, you know, it won't be good. There will be times where we want to act out of character and act out. There are times where and I don't if you talk to any pastor, any leader, any worship person, any. There are times where your patience will be tried. Your love for God will be tried. Where you want to put your Bible down, hang up your robe and walk away. But this we are we reminded by Jesus Christ's work on the cross. That even in the midst of the most painful moment, when we found balance in him and we're being obedient and we recognize that what we are called to in our lives is a sacrifice and the sacrifice that we are called to make, even when people don't appreciate it, we will have the ability to push forward and not let ourselves be tempted by things that will draw us away. So, yes, we will thirst, but know that our thirst will be quenched. By the vindication of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you this right now. What are some of the things in your life that may be spiritually out of balance? What, 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 what are some things that are, are challenging you and keeping you from living fully into the person that have called you to be? I challenge you to take some time and think about those things, to to think, think through them so we can begin to remove them so that we can be fully called, fully in purpose, fully being connected to our God, but living sacrificially for our brothers and sisters, fully living to what it means to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen.